Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts today that we might behold wondrous things out of your word. I pray that you will speak through me today. Please give me the words to say. Please take away any distractions from the hearts of the listeners, from my heart, and anything that is not of you that I may say. I pray that you would cause anyone listening to this to forget it and only to remember that which is of you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would all be encouraged and built up today. I pray that we would see Jesus more clearly today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So it's been quite a year of 2020. Um, it has not been an easy year for any of us, or maybe most of us, by any stretch of the imagination. It's been a turbulent year. Schools don't function the same. Work doesn't happen the same for most people. And even if you're still going into work, uh, you, there's, there's more regulations, there's limits to how many people you can let in. Um, social events, obviously, don't happen the same way. And, you know, we used to, like, just think of this, less, even less than a year ago, we used to go out and we wouldn't even think about it. Like, your checklist for going out was, do I have a coat? Do I have my phone? Wallet and keys? Okay, good to go. And you would go. The worst thing you would think about is how you were going to get somewhere, be that by bus or car or something. But now when we go out, we have this massive checklist now. In addition to all the normal, like, do I have everything? We also have, like, do I have a mask? Do, does the other person have a mask? Where are we going? Does, like, is the place even open? Like, you know, and this is all even if you go out, and most people don't these days. The list goes on, and anxiety and depression rates have just skyrocketed through the year because of social distancing, because of things being closed down. It has not been a very peaceful year, you might say. And for me personally, uh, I think probably most of you know this or who are watching this, my wife has a brain tumor. And until very recently, she was on medication that was immunosuppressant. And I'll tell you something, when you're just married and there's a worldwide pandemic and your wife has a compromised immune system, it can be easy to freak out a little bit. And I've even had serious conversations in my head along the lines of like, wow, what am I going to do if I lose her? That's actually a distinct possibility. And you know what's always calmed me down, what's always given me the strength to keep going anytime I've worried about this or have freaked out about this? Without fail, every time, it's always been Jesus, the Prince of Peace, that's reassured me, that's calmed my anxious heart. When I see clearly that my circumstances are overpowering or overwhelming, that I, when I see clearly just how powerless I am to change my own circumstances, Jesus is there. And I get to take comfort and refuge in, in that fact that the Prince of Peace brought about peace for me on just so many different levels. And I have this unshakable hope in him and in the work that he has done. And I want to make a quick aside about the word hope, because in English, at least, when we use the word hope, that expresses some form of uncertainty. Like if you ask your, your child, like, you know, if they're going to get their favorite toy or whatever it is they want for Christmas, 
I think most of them would probably say, well, I hope so, but they don't know that. They don't know whether or not they're going to get it. They're hopeful. They're optimistic, perhaps, that they will, but it's not a certain thing. Now, when the Bible uses hope, it means an unshakable assurance of something that's going to happen. And so when the Bible says we have this unshakable hope, it's because Jesus came and his work is finished. It is done. It is a sure thing. So I just want to make that quick aside. And 2020 has been rough on all of us in many different ways. And so today we're going to be looking at Jesus. We're going to be dwelling on Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And I, I think this is timely. And so first and foremost, we'll see how Jesus accomplishes or accomplished, I should, I should say, peace between us and God. That was our greatest need for peace. And so Jesus accomplished that. And then next we'll see how Jesus gives us peace for the here and now that you and I can live calm, with a calm, hopeful, biblically hopeful assurance because of Jesus. And then we'll wrap up by looking at the end times and how we have a future peace to look forward to that a, a future and an eternal peace that Jesus will bring about when he returns. And so we'll just jump right in. And so I think you've probably already picking up on this. One of my favorite titles for Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When Gunnar and I were putting together um, how Advent what we were going to preach for Advent and we settled on the titles of Jesus. And like, I, I think I put my hand up really quickly. And I was like, can I, and Gunnar was like, yes, you can preach the Prince of Peace. It's okay. Um, so if you, I, I love this title. Um, this brings me just such great joy and comfort because even the year 2020 aside, the, this is a very much not a peaceful world we live in. Uh, it's full of so many unpeaceful things and people. And I just, it brings me such joy and comfort to look at Jesus and to consider Jesus in light of the world we live in. And first and foremost, the peace that you and I most desperately need is peace between us and God. Understand that naturally, you and I are enemies of God. You may hear people say that humans are basically good. That humans are like, well, they might be born good or maybe, you know, humans are all right as long as they don't do anything too major. Like, it's, it's okay. The Bible says otherwise, though. The Bible says that we are enemies of God, that we are hostile to God. The Bible says that no one is good, that all have turned aside from the righteous path. The Bible describes us as being at war with God, of being eminent as being enemies of God. But the Bible doesn't stop there. <laughs> it also says that God, being rich in love and mercy, sent his only son, Jesus, to be our savior, to pay the price of all of our sins, so that not only would there be peace between us and God, that's already amazing and incredible, so that we could be adopted into God's family, so that we could be friends of God. And Jesus says that in chapter 15, verse 15 of the gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And he can say that even though he hasn't gone to the cross yet, because what he's going to go do 
is a sure thing. And so we are now no longer enemies of God, but we're friends of God. We're adopted into the family of God. Jesus came and reconciled us through his sacrifice on the cross. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Um, so I think you're probably in Isaiah. Um, so Ephesians is in the New Testament after Corinthians, first and second. Um, so turn with me to Ephesians 2. And we're going to be looking at verse 13, and I need to get there as well. So Ooh, all righty, Ephesians 2, verse 13, and I'm going to be reading uh, through verse 15 as well. I hope you're there. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And the peace that we first and foremost need is peace between us and God. And just a few verses back in the same, in, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We're naturally against God. We don't want to submit to him. We, he's our creator and our king, but we, we want to be our own king, our own ruler. We want to control our own lives. And this rebellion of ours manifests itself. It, it shows itself in different ways in each of our lives. But ultimately, we want to do what we want to do. And how dare God tell us what to do? And that's our sinful rebellion. And we needed reconciliation between us and God. Because without that, we deserve to spend an eternity separated from God in hell for that. But as we read... Jesus came to bring peace between us and God. And I also, as an aside too, I want to say that there are, there are many scripture passages that deal with peace. I'm going to hit some of them. I'm not even going to come close to hitting all of them though. Um, so if, as you were going through this, if you're like, well, what about that verse? Just understand that there's a lot. So, But Romans 5.1, another passage that's very good. It says that, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. And God promised to send a savior. And that's what he's promising in the passage of Isaiah that we've been studying these last four weeks. Jesus came and lived the life that we could not live. You and I cannot live a life that is pleasing to God apart from his redeeming power. And Jesus then died the death that every single person on this earth, except for Jesus, deserves to die. He took on the full wrath of God so that we could have peace with God. So that we could, in fact, become members of the household of God. So that we could be adopted into his family. So that we could spend an eternity in the presence of God, our Father. And God says that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day proving and showing that the work was indeed finished and that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. 
And now we get to joyfully submit to Jesus as both our Savior and our Lord. And we now have this hope and this peace, which surpasses all understanding as we joyfully look forward to spending an eternity with God. So ever since Adam and Eve sinned, we've been hostile towards God. But Jesus came so that we could be sons and daughters of God and so that we could be adopted into God's family. And Jesus has now repurposed us to go out and proclaim this good news to a broken and a hurting world. I don't think I'd have to convince you that this world is pretty messed up. And the news is that there can now be peace between us and God because of what Jesus has done. It has so many great just implications, outworkings, and I'm not going to go through all of them because otherwise, I mean, you could probably teach a seminary class, like a series, like a, a whole semester on just implications of us having peace with God. But I want to focus on one in particular. So turn with me just a few pages forward from Ephesians to Philippians, to chapter four. Specifically, we're going to look at verse seven. We're going to read that and then I'm going to provide some context. So Philippians four, verse seven says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a wonderful verse, but it's also one we can't pull out of context. So Paul, in the letter to the Philippians, he's writing to the Philippian church, and he's just been exhorting them in verse 4 of chapter 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. But he doesn't pause there because, I mean, it doesn't really help to tell a sad person to be happy. That doesn't work. So he follows it up with, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This is key here. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So how do we get this peace, this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding and guards our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus? It comes through prayer. So let's pray. Brothers and sisters, we cannot expect to experience this blessing, this peace of God, if we're not in fellowship with him. The context of this promise is casting your burdens, your anxieties, whatever it is that's weighing you down, cast that onto God, like literally like cast it onto God with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And I want to spend a moment on that verb to cast, which is just to throw or to heave or something. I imagine most of us have, we've come to a nice flat body of water and you see a stone and you're like, yeah, I want to skip this. I'm going to see how many times I can get it bounce, get it to bounce on the water. Well, you don't, once you've done that, you don't pull that stone back in. You don't swim out there looking for that stone. That's kind of ridiculous. If someone did that, you'd call them crazy and rightfully so. Or another example, at least in English, when you go to vote, we use the phrase to cast your vote. And that implies there's a, there's a finality about that once you've done it, that it's, it's recorded, it's, it's permanent. You voted this way and not these other few ways. You don't reel your vote back in. You don't 
take it back. You don't go back the next day after it's been recorded and say, wait, 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 I need that back. That's not how that works. It's been counted. It's recorded. It's been cast. Now, if you're like me, and I suspect you are, we cast our burdens onto God, and then we take them back. That makes no sense. I did this just last night. This is how much I need to be reminded of this. Last night, I am praying to God, thinking about this passage, because I'm going to preach on it the, tomorrow. And I, I, I gave it to God. And then five minutes later, I'm like strategizing, worrying about it, thinking, how am I, okay, how are we going to deal with this? And like, not trusting God with this. <laughs> like, I was not experiencing the peace of God. <laughs> and, I, and then I got convicted that I'm like, wow, the very example I'm going to use tomorrow, I'm being a bad example of it right now. And so it makes no sense that we cast our burdens onto God and then we pull them back. <laughs> We cannot expect to experience the peace of God if we do not prayerfully cast and let go of our burdens onto him. Guys, God's got this. God is bigger than any problem you and I are going to face. And he also cares enough to deal with the smallest problems that you and I are going to face on the day to day. Like God cares about the little moment by moment because he cares for you and he loves you. What is it that's causing you to be anxious? What is it in this life that causes you to take your focus off of Jesus and to focus on the waves and the storms of life? Remember, remember when the disciples got on the boat? So this is after Jesus has fed the 5,000 and he sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee and he goes up to the mountain to pray. And, and so they go through the night and in the middle of the night, he walks to them on water and they flip out because you don't see people walking on water most of the time. But then Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come and I'll come. And Jesus says, come to me. And Peter does. And he walks on the water for a ways towards Jesus. And it's incredible. But then what happens? Peter starts to notice the wind and the waves. He starts to focus on those. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and brings them down towards the waves and the wind. Then he begins to sink. And he cries out to Jesus for help. He says, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs his hand and pulls him up. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. Can you not relate to that? <laughs> Is that not just such a like... Yeah, that sounds like my experience. It's so easy for us to take our eyes off Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and our anxiety shoots through the roof because all of a sudden we're burdening ourselves with, I've got to fix the world's problems that are not ours to fix. But I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you guys, you brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on Jesus. Rejoice in him and what he has done for you. Dwell on this. Meditate on this. Pray to him with thanksgiving and with supplication and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. And furthermore, Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 27. I love this verse. He says, peace. I leave with you. 
my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. Jesus promised us peace for life here and now. And we've seen that the, the peace that Jesus first came to bring about is peace between us and God that we needed. But he's also talking about the here and now. Because, as I'm sure you've noticed, when you come to Christ, Jesus doesn't just whoosh us up into heaven. As nice as that would be, he doesn't do that. Otherwise, most of us wouldn't be here right now if he did. But we're repurposed when, we, when we're saved. When God saves us, we're repurposed to now go out into the world to tell the world of this peace. To say, hey, you're hostile to God naturally, but Jesus came and made a way so that there can be peace, so that you can have peace in this life and so that you can enjoy the peace that is to come. And Jesus knows that this life will still be hard. And he doesn't just know this like intellectually, like theoretically. Jesus knows this experientially. Because Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life here on earth just in obscurity. He was just any other guy. When you passed him on the street, you would not have known that he was anything other than just another man. And he experienced all the hardships, all the temptations, just all the pressures of life. And he did this also in the first century. Like Jesus could have, could have chosen to come during a much more comfortable era of human history. But he chose, to, he chose his time for the glory of God and he experienced all the hardships that you and I experience. And he knows that his people on this earth are gonna face these pressures, these burdens, these hardships. We, we live in a sinful world. We experience the effects of the fall every single day. And so Jesus encourages his disciples and us by reminding us that he is giving us peace, not just between us and God, but also for trials, for tribulations we experience here on earth, we can have an inner just calmness and peace. And I don't mean this like in a vague, like Eastern spirituality sort of thing. Like we can have true, genuine peace that is built on the hope, the unshakable assurance that we have in God and in Christ Jesus. Whatever your struggles are, whatever circumstances may burden you, if you're in Christ, you have access to the deep peace of God. And one great witness to the saving and transforming power of Christ is that when people look at you, and they see you're in a tough situation, how are you acting? Are you irritable and stressed? Or are you content and peaceful? And content doesn't mean happy about everything, mm -hmm. but it just means a quiet assurance, a contentedness, because your hope is in Jesus. Is your identity shaped by the fact that you're a child of God. Like for me, for instance, when my wife, well, not when, my wife does have a brain tumor and that affects our lives greatly. We have to factor in a lot of things that I was not used to factoring into my life before I got married. 
and am I discontent because I think God owes me something somehow that he owes me some lifestyle or am I peaceful and content because my hope is not in my wife's health or even my own health, but my hope is on the finished work of Jesus. Friends, brothers and sisters, we live in a fallen, broken world and we're never promised an easy ride through, but Jesus does promise to get us to the other side. So let's be a praying people, not just in the hard times, but also in the good times. But I want to, I want to encourage you though. Remember when things are tough and this is a tough season we're all in, it's a long season too. When quarantine or social distancing or isolation or whatever, when the news, when it's all getting you down, when work is hard and it's not ideal and coworkers are frustrating and your boss is unfair, when you feel discouraged by people or circumstances, rejoice in the Lord because we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done. We can present our requests to him. And we can rejoice in any and all circumstances because our eternal salvation has been secured. And you can tell God what you're feeling. Like, God, I, this is hard. My boss is unfair. My coworkers are not helpful. You can run to God with that. He cares about that. That's not too little for him. It's not too great and it's not too little for him. So I'd encourage us, let's be a praying people. And so we've seen that Jesus being the prince, and pe prince of peace first and foremost affects our standing with God, namely that through Jesus's blood, we now have been reconciled to God. And we've also seen that we can have peace in this life, no matter our circumstances. And now, so we've jumped around a lot of scriptures. Now we're going to go back to Isaiah 9. So I'll give you a couple, a couple seconds to get there because I need to get there too, so... Da, 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 da. Jeremiah, Isaiah, cool. Because now I want us to spend some time thinking about the end times when Jesus comes back. And I wonder, I don't know that many of us spend a lot of time thinking about that, except when we get hooked on the book of Revelation for a bit. But this is important to think about because it also has implications for us being able to have peace now and that our peace with God has already been secured by Jesus. And I think when we look forward to this future rest and peace that Jesus will bring about eventually, that also gives us, it helps us to be content in the here and now. And so we've read verses two through seven quite a bit. Um, I'm going to narrow in on verse seven. So look with me, Isaiah nine, verse seven, which says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Amen. Doesn't that just sound glorious and wonderful? Yes. I'm going to read it again because that needs to sink in of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end.
all of man's political and economic systems, which on some level seek to bring about a peace and prosperity, all of them have utterly failed and will utterly fail. When Jesus returns, the government will be on his shoulder and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. But that just brings me such great joy <laughs> to look forward to that. That puts a smile on my face, no matter what's going on around me when I think of that. Because what king has stepped off his throne for his people to come and be made a curse for them? What king does that? Who is a God like our God who pardons iniquity, who invites his fallen creation that is rebelled against him into a holy and right relationship with him? What God does that? What king does that? And notice in verse 6 of Isaiah 9, notice how the titles of Jesus that we've been studying this Advent, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, notice that those titles are sandwiched in between the first part of verse 6, which says, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and then the beginning of verse 7 that we've read, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And in between those two weighty and glorious declarations, we're told who this ruler is. His name will be, or his name shall be called, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Doesn't this just still and quiet your anxious heart? Because, I don't know about you, but I get stressed thinking about the world and just, you know, there's a lot, there's been a lot of unrest this year, especially in the United States and the United States makes international news quite a bit. And it can just feel so hopeless looking at that sometimes. But then I read this and it calms me. You and I can take comfort knowing that Jesus is coming back to bring about an eternal, everlasting and true peace. And continuing in verse seven, the kingdom will be established in accordance with the promises of God. And I love this last bit and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If you want to go and see how all this is going to happen, how the fulfillment of this prophecy, go read, go read Revelation, specifically the end. There are some glorious pictures that are painted there. King Jesus is coming back and he will establish his perfect kingdom and we will get to be in his presence for all of eternity. And now lastly, turn just a few pages forward to Isaiah 26. I want to leave you with this. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4 say, You, that's God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Verse 4, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Isn't that just an amazing promise? I would urge all of you to memorize that. I, I would urge me to memorize that. That is a true and good promise. So brothers and sisters, as you prepare to celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus, remember that he is Prince of Peace. 
He came first and foremost to reconcile us to God. Our sin and our sinfulness separated us from God, and we deserve hell because of our sins. But Jesus came to bring peace between us and God, and he did this by taking our punishment that we deserved on himself when he was on the cross. He paid that debt in full, and God raised him from the dead after three days, signifying that Jesus' sacrifice was in fact enough. And secondly, we have access to the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding and will guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. This means no matter our circumstances here on earth, we can have joy and peace because we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we know that we are far more deeply loved and known by our Heavenly Father than by anything or by anyone else. And third, we get to look forward to the return of our King and Savior, Jesus Christ, who will establish a perfect government and we will get to spend an eternity in the presence of our God and Father. And so I hope this encourages you. I hope and I pray that you will be comforted by the peace that Jesus gives this Christmas season. And if you're not a believer, that is, if, if you have not trusted in the blood and the work of Jesus to make you right before God, well, this, this peace is open to you. Surrender to Jesus. Trust him as both your Lord and Savior, and this peace and this eternal hope are yours. This gift from God is free, and it's open to all. And if you hear this and you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer and you want to be, then I would urge you to reach out. We would love to talk and pray with you. You can message our Facebook page. Someone would love to pray with you, to talk with you, to answer any questions you have. The gift is open. The way is open. And so step through it. Pray with me. Oh God, you are our father and our creator and we sinned against you. We have all like sheep gone astray from your ways. We've rebelled against you and we've tried to rule ourselves. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for making a way for there to be peace between us and you. We don't deserve such great mercy and grace from you. Thank you. Thank you for giving us peace and hope in this life. And thank you for giving us a hope, an unshakable hope that we get to look forward to. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, I hope you have an awesome week as you go into this week. I want to remind us of the task that we have in Matthew chapter 28. Here it is. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make this of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So remember, this is a part of all of our job description. It doesn't matter what position you work in, in in your job. Our job is not only to teach what Jesus taught, but to teach people to observe what Jesus taught. And uh, part of that, maybe a mission this week, is to learn ourselves to cast our, our worries, uh, our doubts, uh, our fears and anxieties at the feet of Jesus and not dive into that stupid pond to try to catch that rock again. Uh, so let's learn that ourselves and that teach others to, 
to cling on to the Prince of Peace. God be with you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.